Hey friend, I'm Sarah, and welcome to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast. I am here to show you that financial independence can be for anyone who wants it badly enough and that investing in real estate doesn't have to be scary, take a vast DIY knowledge, or involve heaps of debt. When I am not sharing my own progress to FI, I'll be picking the brains of fellow like-minded, debt-conscientious investors. I am so glad that you are here, my fellow aspiring retirees. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption, but I really wanted to come on here and talk to you about the management program that I use to manage my real estate properties. And it is called Avail. If you have not heard me talk about it, I'm extremely obsessed with it because it is like cozy on steroids. So I do all of my tenant screening through there. I can do background checks. I can do criminal checks. I can do eviction record reports. You can have the tenants pay for their own background checks. And you can also push your advertisement for your properties out on various platforms. And once you get it listed, people can apply. You can add custom questions to your pre-screen. And then once they're in you know, the system and you've chosen your tenant, they can do all their rent collection through there. They can put their security deposits in. They can show proof of insurance. And my absolute favorite part, which is really hard to find, is it is a one-stop shop because I can do all of my lease forms electronically. Goodbye paper. This is my favorite thing, especially as a real estate investor that has aspirations to be a passive investor. I want it all to be able to be handled on my phone. And I can do that with a veil, which is awesome. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend pop over to Instagram, go in my bio, click on the link, and right at the top, you're going to see my favorite you know, landlord software right at the top called a veil please go check it out. All right, guys. So Sarah here and tonight I have Travis with us. You guys might know him off of Instagram or should know him off Instagram. If not, definitely go follow him because I'm just fascinated by his entire journey. And so he's under the handle young retiree by 33 and Travis is like the Airbnb master. So this is why I really want to talk about, you know, Airbnbs with you and kind of go through like the short-term rental game because you actually have a blend um, I did some homework on you previously before hopping on here today. So Travis, tell him who you are, where you are, and how you thought getting into real estate was like the thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, my name is Travis. First of all, thank you for having me on. Really excited to, to talk to you. And and uh, I think you have a really awesome background and, and really cool following. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my name is Travis. I'm 29 years old. I currently live in Orlando, Florida. Um, and I, my main investment vehicle for, um, what I'm trying to do from an achievement goal standpoint, um, to reach financial independence is short-term rentals. Um, so right now currently I have um, four dedicated short-term rentals, one, um, house act that I live in right now, that's a triplex. And then I've started a management, um, short-term rental business as well to continue to expand on top of the, the properties that I own myself, um, where I'm really focusing on expanding in the markets that I'm already, um, operating in. Mm-hmm. But, um, why I got interested in real estate, uh, really started a conversation I was having with a buddy of mine that um, I was working with when I was working in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for Walmart. And uh, he he told me, hey, man, I think you really need to read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, as the, the classic story goes of, of people um, starting with that book and, and reading it, um, I kind of brushed him off saying like, hey, man, I like 
I, I hate reading. So <laughs> I used I'll, to hate I'll reading pass. also. <laughs> we can <laughs> reunite over this because I'm like, um, I don't read anymore. Like I did that in college. Like I'm really oh, good. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's exactly like, what I told It burns them. you out. I'm like, no, man. No, thank you. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was like, Nate, I appreciate it. And and I know you're, tr- you try to mean well, but like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pass. And he's like, no, man, I, I really think you need to just read this book and see if it, if it hits a nerve. Um, ended up ended up hitting a nerve for me and it was one of those things where I had always uh, like I came from a a really good background from like a family standpoint middle class um, never had to to worry about money growing up but didn't have like an investing uh, mindset of a family in the sense of a family who invests in real estate a family who has all these different investment vehicles that bring in income on a monthly standpoint so but the book really triggered the curiosity in me to say, oh, there is another way than getting a good job or going to school, getting a degree, getting a job with a good stable company, working till you're 60, 65 years old, and then retiring on your 401k and, and whatever else. Um, and once I, once I read that and started to just hear about that different perspective that I hadn't heard before, um, I started Googling, doing research, found bigger pockets, started listening to all the podcasts and, and listening like what people were doing, how they were doing it. And I would say this was probably around 2000 and 2015 um, right. was, was when like I started really diving into their content, continued to look further and further where I found the financial independence retire early community. Um, so started diving into that content. And then from there, tried to figure out okay, if I want to become financially independent at a younger age or sometime before 65 years old, um, what can I do now to try to set myself up in the future? And um, what I stumbled into was something that I didn't know was actually a thing until I continued listening on <laughs> to, to more Bigger Pockets podcasts. Um, and I, I literally like, stumbled into house hacking. So I got a promotion at my job at work in Pennsylvania to move down to Orlando. I was going to be opening a brand new building that we had down there. I knew I didn't want to rent anymore. So I, I had already decided I was going to buy a house. Uh, I probably didn't make the most intelligent purchase. <laughs> I think I was 24 years old when, when mm-hmm. I bought my first house, brand new home, inventory home, um, really nice, really nice area. But it was a three bedroom, two bathroom. And, and my plan was, hey, I'm just not going to rent anymore. And it's a little more than the rent that I was paying when I lived in Bethlehem. So I was like, oh, I'm making a deal on this because like I'm building up equity and all these things. And a month after closing on the property, I actually had a buddy of mine who uh, was from New York. And he said, hey, I want to come down to Orlando. They had this mini pro tennis tour going on that I want to try to play in. He's like, do you mind if I crash in one of your rooms? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, come on down. He's like, okay, like how much do you think is reasonable for rent? We, uh, at that point I was like, I have no idea. Like anything you pay me is going to be money in my pocket. So like, I'll take anything. Uh, and I was like, just whatever you think is reasonable. Uh, we landed on $500, super cheap for him. I thought I was like making a home. You're like, I'm a genius. Yeah. Yeah, Like, like, this is amazing. Like how do people like, I need to tell people about this now. But it took 500 off my mortgage. At that point I was paying less than my mortgage than what I was paying previously for rent when I was living in Bethlehem. And within a week, he met another guy on the tour that wanted to do the same thing that wanted to stay down there a (laughs) bit longer. And he's like, Hey, we got the other bedroom. Do you mind if he stays in the other bedroom? I'm like, absolutely. 
like come on like another five hundred dollars like i was like i'll charge him the same amount i'm charging you so at that point i had a thousand dollars on my mortgage and i think at that time my mortgage was like thirteen hundred dollars i think it was thirteen fourteen hundred dollars and i was just like i don't understand what i just did but (laughs) i am liking every moment of it and uh and then it started to make me think more and more and like continue to, to deep dive into the podcast with bigger pockets and, and so on. And, um, when my first friend moved out, I started looking at like what market rates were for like renting a bedroom in a single family home in, in the area that I was living. And, um, I noticed that I could get upwards of a thousand dollars a month for a bedroom in my market. Uh, based off of the location and, and uh, a lot of the businesses and a lot of the young professionals that were coming to the area. Um, so once he moved out, then I rented somebody for like 900 a month. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is even better than, than like I'm making almost the same amount from one bedroom as I was with two. The other guy moved out, did the same thing with the other room. Um, and then I started looking much deeper into understanding, okay, if I want to buy um, investment properties, how much are they going to cash flow? What that's, what's that going to look like? And one of the things that I found, and I don't remember exactly how I found it, but I, I just started looking at like what the Orlando market was good for from a real estate investment standpoint. Yeah. Long-term rentals at the time like were, were great and they were a great investment vehicle. But um, what I saw was two of the top 10 cities in Orlando, Kissimmee and Davenport, which are essentially around Disney World, um, are were two of the top 10 short-term rental cities in the mm-hmm. country and I was yeah. like well that's cool like let me look into this a little bit more and like see if it's, it's if it's something that that is interesting and something that I want to do so I continued to do more research and then I, I figured out that like the cash flow numbers were so much better uh, yeah. than what long-term rentals look like and uh, and then yeah just kind of led down that rabbit hole uh, to the point where I'm at right now. Yeah. So in Orlando, so this is my current dilemma. So I'm like in Orlando, you probably have a ton of comps, right? Like to decide your rent. So I feel like that's easy. So how do you, this is the part that I think people struggle with is just trying to figure out, okay, I know it's better like money-wise per month, but how do you figure out like your vacancy rates or how do you decide like it's going to beat, you know, just doing a long-term buy and hold rental? I think that's kind of, that's like the question of the hour with short-term rentals, I think. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so the, there's three big factors that you have to look at when, when looking at short-term rentals, the first one is seasonality because it's, it's very different in long-term rentals in the sense of, it's not like you have the same person paying the same amount every mm-hmm. single month to rent out your property. So seasonality is the, the first big thing. The second thing is occupancy rate and occupancy rate is going to drive a lot of your gross income metrics at uh, month over month and everything like that. And then your third um, is your daily nightly rates. Um, so there's a lot of software or there's three main softwares that are out there where you can leverage to get this data and, and be able to understand what the data is for a market. You have Mash Pfizer, which is a website, a subscription-based model. Um, I think it's like $300 a year or something like that, but it'll, it'll like aggregate data and like you have maps and charts and all these, all these things that you can look at. AirDNA, same same concept. They're they're like essentially main competitors of each other. But then you have this new company. Um, it's not a new company, but this company that created um, what's called market dashboards. 
And the company's called uh, Price Labs. It's the same company mm -hmm. I use for my dynamic pricing of rates. So I just put in the inputs and then it, it understands uh, how often people are looking at different nights throughout the course of the year. And then it'll dynamically price the, the nights. Um, and one of the interesting things that they did is they had, uh, they had all of the data behind what units were getting booked at. So like what one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom, all, up, mm -hmm. all the way up to whatever um, in the area, because the, the intelligent hosts were using their platform to dynamically price their listings. So every, every time a listing got booked or like days got booked, they had the data to understand what did, what did friday whatever um get booked at and um they could look at a market and see okay what are other listings in that same market getting booked at for that day what listings aren't getting booked at all so what they were able to do is they they were able to create a market dashboard where you can essentially plug in an address and you can say hey off of this address i want to go five kilometer radius and then in that area i want you to give me the listings and I want you to, to be able to tell me what the occupancy rates are for those listings. I want you to be able to tell me what the nightly rates are. And I want you to, to tell me um, like how, like what's, when is high season, when it's low season. And all of that data is, is in this market dashboard report. I essentially took all that, you, you can take all that information and I create a spreadsheet that looks month over month because seasonality is so important and nightly rates and occupancy rates vary so drastically from high season to low season and you can plug it into like this this calculator that i put together and it'll essentially be able to tell you what your expected gross income numbers should look like and it looks at the last 12 months of data so you can have a really really good understanding for the last 12 months what a property that is a two-bedroom in that area um, would look like and what a three bedroom, four bedroom and, and so on. So it's, it's a really, really powerful tool that uses real data. So you don't mm -hmm. have to guess and you don't have to do all these, like the, these things that are, are really, really hard to do and going listing by listing and figuring out what's going on. You can yeah. just look at that data set and then analyze it to understand what gross income potentials look like, and then add in all your expenses for utilities, HOA, um, cleaning all that kind of stuff to to understand what um, true cash flow numbers would look like yeah so do you primarily use price labs now instead of like air dna and i've never heard of the other one though so i've heard of air dna i've looked at price labs before but the first one was mash, mash pfizer yep okay yeah. i'm trying to get the spelling down so yeah no you're good um yeah so i originally used mash pfizer um, mm -hmm. and the reason why i used mash pfizer was because i looked at air dna and the data was i just I kept on find, finding anomalies that just didn't make sense why it was in their data set. And it was too much work to have to click down and understand like, what is it actually booking at versus what they're mm -hmm. saying it's booking at. Um, so I was using Mash Pfizer up until market dashboards were created, which I believe it was, they were created like about three months ago. So oh, nice. um, it's pretty in new. like July, mm -hmm. yeah, it's in mm -hmm. like July of this year. It, but I've a hundred percent transitioned to, um, market dashboards uh, off of Price Labs. The beauty of it is they they essentially you they ask you for what your minimum nightly rate, mm -hmm. what you want your minimum, median, and maximum nightly rate to be, and then you upload that to their software, and then they look at demand based off of days, what days of the week, time of the year, all that kind of stuff, 
And then they will add multipliers based off each one of those to then target like what the nightly rate should be. You can, you can do a lot of cool things within there where like you could set season. So if you know high season, you want your men, medium, max to be higher than low season, low season, men, medium, max, like you can do and like set from January to March. I want the numbers to be this from March to, to June. I want it to be this. So there's a lot of like cool customizations that you can do within. But yeah, I, I use Price Labs now for all my dynamic pricing as well as um, uh, analyzing new markets if, if I'm looking at them. Gotcha. Interesting. And you're in two different markets, right? You have Tennessee and Orlando now, if that's correct. Yeah, those are the ones that I own in. Um, I also manage a condo in Panama City Beach. Okay, nice. Is that part of your like new management business you're starting? Yep. Yeah. So I've been managing that one for like a year and a half now. So when COVID hit last year uh, is when I took over (laughs) management of that property. Okay. This is also fascinating. We're going to talk short-term rentals first, but I'm going to pull around back to your management business because this is like my dream in life is like own my own management business because I'm picky. Um, and I would like to train people, but this is me having control problems, I think. But I also just think a lot of these property management companies like let their stuff go and they're not maintaining them, at least where I live. I think people kind of do a bad job. And I don't know if that's like Lynn, like the homeowner dictated where they're just trying to save money or the property management company kind of like cutting corners. I don't really know, but there's kind of a shortage of people that care about their rental properties around here. And it's kind of sad. Like everything is like 70 chic. Um, is how I like to read like wall to wall, like sheet vinyl. And I'm like, no, no one wants to live there. It's 2020. So, 100%. so we'll circle back around to all your management business ideas, because I think that's really exciting. And that's interesting because not a lot of people are doing like essentially the vertical integration, like you're owning the other parts of your business. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So going through, so I loved, you've done like Mythbusters on Instagram lately. Like you're going through and trying to like talk about myths. I'm like, okay, let's talk about all of these views. I think this is, so my friend just started doing an Airbnb last month and she's like the whole, like everyone climbs out of the woodwork to tell you like house hacking is a terrible idea because it's dangerous, but in like short-term rentals, everyone's like, they're going to trash your house. And so she's like, every day she's like, look, one more day with my house, not being trashed. (laughs) (laughs) She better knock on wood. (laughs) I know. I'm like, it's coming. Like she knows it's coming, but uh, so far so good. So tell me like, what are the chances of your house actually getting trashed? Like, has that happened to you? What are the odds? You know, what's your experience? Yeah. So I, I say the odds are, if you, yeah, if you do the correct things, I think the odds are about one to two percent chance. Um, yeah. You're gonna have people that are going to cause damage in some way, shape, or form, whether that's breaking things around the house, ruining towels. Um, I, I don't know, like uh, furniture where they they ding it. I've had like um, uh, mirrors on the walls, like somebody hits it, hits the wall, the mirror drops and shatters. Like stuff like that's gonna happen. But if you, if you screen your guests properly, um, then you're going to have a much higher chance of eliminating or weeding out the guests um, that are inquiring about your property that may not be a good fit. The beauty about Airbnb and short-term rentals, if, if whatever platform that you're on or, or doing it independently, is you ultimately still have the right to deny a guest if you do not feel comfortable based off of whatever probing questions you ask, whatever screening questions you ask to the guests, it's like you still have a chance to screen the guests just like you would screen a long-term tenant 
to make sure that they're the right fit for your property, to see if they have any reviews from other hosts, um, to understand if they've had an account on Airbnb or VRBO or, or whatever for years, but don't have any reviews, like, hey, have you stayed in a short-term rental before? Do you know what the experience is going to be like? Do you have any questions I can answer for you? What brings you to the area? If you start asking these probing questions, they'll give you a lot of information and you'll be able to really tell whether or not they're going to be a good fit or not. Regardless of how well you do screen, you still are going to have a couple guests that come through that may cause some level of damage to your property. Um, from my from my experience in the past, the worst that, I, that I've had happen is a lot of cleaning to do where my, my cleaners had to be there for another hour and a half because the guests left the, like the kitchen completely, like they didn't throw anything away, like all the bedrooms, like everything was all over the place and, and some of the furniture was moved. So it's like, it's, it was nothing major that my cleaners couldn't spend a, a couple more hours on the property. I pay a, a little bit more to my cleaners to make sure the property gets ready for the next guest. Um, that that it is not a major deal. Can parties happen? Can things happen? Absolutely. Will they, if you're in this business long enough, I'm sure they will. Um, I haven't had anything major happen yet. Um, like I've had cops called to one of my Airbnbs before, which is like yeah. a crazy story, but like <laughs> nothing, nothing to the point where I couldn't get my cleaners in there, spend a couple more hours, call my maintenance guy. Hey, this door, like you, you need to like fix this door. Can you get over there? And mm -hmm. if you can't coordinate with the guests that are checking in behind them, let them know that like, Hey, I'm trying to fix this problem. I'm unfortunately the last guest left it in bad shape. I'm working on addressing the issues. So everything should be good by the time that you get there. But if it's not, just know that like I'm working on addressing the problem. Let me know if you have an issue with whatever it is and, and we can we can talk. So it's just about doing the proper screening. And then in the scenario, something happens or your cleaners need more time or, or whatever to clean the property. Just being super transparent with the next guests that are coming through. Because I would say about 70% of the time right now, I have same day turns on all my properties. So it's like, wow. I have somebody checking out at 10 a.m. And I have somebody checking in at 4 p.m. that same day. So stuff's going to come up, stuff's going to happen, stuff's going to get ruined, need to get replaced. If you stock your owner's closet correctly, you should be able to mitigate against a lot of um, things that, that could have your cleaners having to go to Walmart or whatever to like replace something. Um, but it, it doesn't happen as often as people think. Not everybody's bad. Like, yeah <laughs> the majority of people are good yeah do you have time to tell us the police getting called on your tenant story are you able to share that on on the podcast yeah. <laughs> that was that was a yeah that was an interesting uh experience and it was when I only had my first property so I was I was like freaking out so the <laughs> the guest was was kind of an interesting guest from the beginning probably somebody I would have not accepted knowing what I know now and like done the proper screening yeah um but I think it was like three months in uh this guest calls me on her iPhone or on her Apple watch. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Hey, cops are here. My ex-boyfriend like found out I came down to Orlando and he's trying to break into the house. And oh I'm like, uh, you need to like go to the front desk or something. Like I'm not there. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And I don't know why you're calling me. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do for you. I'm like go to the front desk and like figure out what's going on. So I get off the phone with her and then I call the front desk at the resort and I say, Hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> like, can you guys, can you guys give me some guidance? They're like, don't worry about it. It's not your problem. 
they need to figure out what's going on and, and the cops need to solve it. And I was like, can you guys just call me once the cops leave? Just so like, I know <laughs> everything know. is okay. Uh, the cops, they, they called me, the cops had left. I, I checked on her. I was like, Hey, I just want to make sure you're okay. I want to make sure everything's fine. And she's like, yeah, everything's okay. But I'm checking out and, and leaving. And I was like, okay, as long as you're good, like I'm good. Like, like I'll, I'll don't worry about cleaning up the place or whatever. Like I'll, I'll figure all that out. Um, yeah. So it's it was a it's a fun experience. Yeah. And that's your first one and you're still doing it. So clearly Absolutely. it wasn't that was three months wasn't... in. Yeah. <laughs> like what have I done? <laughs> oh yeah. It was fun. It was a cool experience. So interesting. So okay, this is ridiculous, but I didn't realize you could screen your tenants. So this is me being an amateur and not him doing Airbnb. So at what point because I don't think I've ever really gone through screening questions or at least not ones that so I you remember yeah so you won't go through screening questions unless the host asks anytime somebody inquires if you mm-hmm. don't if you don't have any reviews I'm gonna ask some questions just about like and so the most common question that I start the conversation with if you don't have any reviews is that is I essentially say hey whoever your name is um thank you for inquiring I see you've been on Airbnb for a while, but you don't have any reviews. Have you stayed in an Airbnb before? And just like leave it like an open, in, like whatever they want to say and however they want to respond. And then mm-hmm. kind of guide the conversation into, hey, what brings you to the area? Do you have any questions about what to expect if you haven't stayed in an Airbnb before? Um, and you can start, they'll, they'll start like talking a lot, um, generally speaking. And you can have a pretty good sense early on in that conversation whether or not they might be a tenant that will be good, uh, a, a good fit to say your place or, or somebody that may cause problems. Yeah. Are you personally reviewing all these emails still, or is this like any part of this automated? So the, the first, when you first inquire, the message immediately back to you is automated. Um, then I take a look and then if they had any questions in the inquiry, I'll answer those questions. And then I'll, I'm, just, I'm still the one responding at this point. There okay. are certain things that you can automate from the software that I use that can like understand certain questions from guests. And like, you can create, Hey, if mm-hmm. they ask, like, can I heat the pool? You can ask that question in like four different ways. And then the software is smart enough to like pick up that question and then auto send the response that you have already created for the guest. But there, there are like the biggest uh, amount of time that's spent in, in and managing and whatnot is answering the one-off inquiries screening and then answering the one-off questions okay so your screening questions are kind of like one like one after another as they come in it's not like you have like a questionnaire you send them or something yeah like that. absolutely okay. it's one I, I try to keep it like a casual conversation so i like okay. just try to keep it a super casual conversation and just try to like get to know that person as much as possible and it sounds like recently you had to like say no to someone, right? I think it was like in the oh, last yeah. few weeks, like, okay, so yeah. how often does it happen that you need to say no? And like, how is that awkward or uncomfortable? Like, how do you, yeah, how does that work? And then also, is that like lowering your ratings? I guess that's a two-part question. So. Yeah, so um, I'll answer the last piece first. So no, it doesn't lower your ratings. The okay. only thing that lowers your ratings is canceling on guests. So to remain a super host, you have to can you have to have less than one percent cancellations. Um, so that will, if you accept something and then cancel on somebody, that will potentially lower your ratings and, and uh, SEO or all that stuff. Um, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, I, I would say generally speaking, probably five percent of the time, I don't accept um, guests that inquire. 
for various reasons. Uh, the the most recent scenario, like I asked a probing question, I didn't. It was a couple of things. One, the first thing red flag was they had a three point five overall rating, mm-hmm. which as anything less than a five, like I, there's almost a hundred percent chance I'm not going to accept you unless like I get a good feeling from ha- from the conversation, yeah. um, because just like guests are looking at reviews of my properties, I'm looking at reviews if uh, guests have them of what other hosts have said about them. Mm-hmm. This particular scenario, 3.5 rating, so not a great start. I look at the reviews. The reviews themselves didn't sound bad, so it was kind of confusing as to like, wh- like what exactly was wrong with this particular individual. Um, and some, some probing questions, and then there was like one specific statement that they said uh, that was another big red flag. They said something like, um, don't worry about my past reviews. Their property wasn't adequate or something like that. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, time out. <laughs> nope, not accepting that. Yeah. So, so like you can, it, there's just red flags that you can, you can pick up on um, as you're talking to guests, just determine whether or not they're a good fit. But I would say right. overall about 5% of the time I decline guests. It's not awkward. At the end of the day, I, it's my investment property and, right. and like I'm protecting my investment if I don't feel comfortable with this situation. Um, but that's where the uh, running it as a business is important because you have to make decisions that are hard. Yeah. hundred percent. So what are things you do like in your rentals, like touches that guests like, or talk about in your reviews, because you get long reviews, which I was super impressed by. And so what do you do to get people to leave you these long reviews? And like, what are you doing to get their experience up where they want to, like, what are the little touches you've learned that are important? Yeah. I think communication is one of the biggest things. my guess, I would say probably 99% of them don't realize almost all of the communication with them is 100% automated, mm-hmm. but everything is personalized to their first name, ending messages with your host, Travis. Like, I want to make sure you have a great experience. So like, there's, there's these subtle things that I put in my messaging sequence. Mm-hmm. So that from the second you inquire about my property, I'm already addressing you by your first name to start creating that relationship. All of my stuff is, is um, ending with, Hey, I want to make sure you have a, a great experience. Let me know if there's anything that you need. your host, Travis. So like everything mm-hmm. is, is personalized and making sure that, Hey, reach out to me. If you need anything, I'm here to make sure you have great experience. Um, and then from, from setting up the property, I think a big thing is making sure that your pictures on the listing match what the property actually looks like. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where like people will do certain things in pictures where like it, you're, you're not clearly showing what your property actually looks like, or like you're showing something that maybe you had at one point that you don't have anymore. And maybe it's something that draws guests into uh, stay at the property. Like um, the, the only two properties I have grills at, are my two cabins in the Smokies, but I don't mm-hmm. have normal grills. I have park grills now, but I'm not like I removed the pictures for showing the grill that used to be on the deck because it's like it's not there anymore. <laughs> I don't want to guess like book and say, hey, I was really looking forward to using the grill. And it's like, yeah, I, I understand. Sorry, I still have that picture in there, <laughs> but like I have a park right. grill now. So it, I think it's making sure that the communication is, is clear to the guests. It's personalized to their first name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're always addressing them by the, their first name. 
you're always respectful for and, and responsive to any concerns or anything like that, the, like that, that they have. Um, and then I think it's continuing to check in on them just to make sure that if there's anything that they need, let them know that you want to know about it so you can address the, the issue. So like the majority of the time, it's like people want to know that guests want to know that you're responsive and you're listening to whatever they have to say. So yeah. like, if you do those things, you're going to significantly increase your chances of, of getting good reviews. I don't ask guests to, to write a paragraph of a review. I just yeah. say, hey, if you had a great experience, I want to know about it. I want to hear about it. Leave a, great, leave, a, leave a review that reflects that great experience that you have. If there are things that you think I can still improve on, please let me know directly. Don't leave it in the review. <laughs> let me know directly on things that I can improve on for whatever it is, because I'm not getting to experience the cabin or the location like my guests are. Yeah. So in the scenario that there's like small things that you just, you just notice because you would notice at your own house, let me know and, and let me address them, but send me a DM about those. Don't, yeah. don't write that in the review. <laughs> don't put that out there. Like I have all yeah. these thoughts on how you can improve your property. But, but it's again, just like keeping, keeping the two-way communication open so that they know like, Hey, I want to make my experience for my guests as good as possible. Please let me know if there's things that you see, if my cleaners maybe didn't do the best job and like, there's things that you want to nitpick, like, let me know about those things so I can make sure I address them. Yeah. So how did you learn all this? Did you learn this from someone or is this like all through the hard way? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just it's like... all, all hard knocks. Like it, it's literally all just learning through experience of continuing to do this, adding more properties. Um, like I've hosted over 2000 guests now. So like I've had um, a lot of experience with hosting a lot of different types of people. Mm-hmm. So every time I go through an experience with a guest that's different or something I had something I experienced that I haven't experienced before from like communication or how they handled it or how I handled it. I just try to be super self-reflective of like, what could I have changed during Mm -hmm. that scenario to try to make sure that doesn't happen again. And then I just continue to like make tweaks, like make small tweaks here and here and there just to continue to get better and better. Yeah. That's awesome. Your self-awareness though is like key. (laughs) Communication is everything. How do you decide? Like, what do you really need? What do you don't? Yeah. What what comes up a lot? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, a couple of things. The, the first thing is kitchen. Like, I think it's super important to stock the kitchen, um, with everything that somebody needs to be able to do general cooking, enough plates, enough pots and pans, um, enough silverware that isn't like 10 different types of silverware that are all like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I cannot. The thrift shop. So but it's this like, is where my like OCD, I can't like handle, like, 100%. but this would be me as your Airbnb guest. Like, please don't have 57 different types of spoons. It, exactly. So. so I think, I think the kitchen is important. I, all of my places I like to have a Keurig. I think like people love coffee and I do a Keurig, uh, um, a, uh, tea pot or whatever and then a coffee just a normal coffee pot just because you have old school people that still like to right. brew their own coffee and they'll like your it. hey I'm, I'm like I'm that way too I so. raise my hand for people that can't see so we're on a zoom so yeah that is me um but I drink coffee by the pot so Keurig is not cost effective for me there you go so so like I think I think catering to each one of those individuals is is important um yeah. because that's a common question that I get a lot is like Hey, do you have a coffee maker? I'm like, I have a Keurig and the normal coffee pot and a tea kettle thing that, that yeah. you need. Because in, in Orlando before COVID, there's a lot of people from England that 
would come to Orlando and stay at Airbnb. So like they, they have to drink tea. Yes, it's unique. But um, so I think that's really, really important. Um, depending on the location in the area, I think there's certain amenities within the property or on the premises of the property that are, are really important. For Orlando, having a private pool, I think is super important. I have one townhome that doesn't have a private pool. That was the second townhome that I bought. I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. buy another one that didn't have a private pool with a lanai screened in. Yeah. Um, so I think that's super important for Orlando because families are coming to Orlando to most likely go to the parks, but the parks are so dang expensive that you're probably only going to the parks one or two or maybe three days of the yeah. trip. And if you're staying for five nights, you want one day where you can just hang at home with the kids, you can enjoy the pool, you can cook, you can TV and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that I think that for Kissimmee, Davenport area, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like smart TVs, I think are super important. Um, and the TVs I like the most are the Roku TVs, just because they're very, very easy. They're very simple. They have a super simple controller. They have a controller that's easy to replace and you can stock multiple within your owner's closet and throughout the, the property. Um, but I think that's also really important because people like to get on, log into their Netflix, log into their Hulu, YouTube TV, whatever it might be. So if they have something that they like, a show that they like, a service that they like, I think having a smart TV in all the rooms is, is really, really important um, that, that they can log into. So I think like there's, there's things like that that are like for me non-negotiable. There's a couple properties where this year, now that I've like narrowed it down to like, I'm getting Roku TVs for all my properties mm-hmm. for every room, no matter what. I yeah. have to buy like four more TVs once they go on sale for, <laughs> yeah. for uh, the sales coming up. Black Friday, time. you're going to have like a cart exactly. of televisions. Oh, I'll have, <laughs> I'll have so much. I'll probably spend like $2,000 on TVs. Uh, but we're going to be like, this guy is rich, but you're like rolling <laughs> them near Airbnb. Like none of them are for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a single one are for me. But I think stuff like that is like once you find stuff that works, um, mm-hmm. and from a guest experience standpoint, it's just really, really. Um, nice for for guests to be able to log in to all of their stuff watch their shows and, and all that that's fascinating okay so i'm in the market for a new tv someday because i'm not like i was like is this a guy thing or a girl thing and i'm like okay but your guys are gonna be like your guests too so i guess like tv in every room you have to represent because i have like a borrowed tv from like a friend of mine who didn't need it and so i'm like someday i'm gonna upgrade so roku is where roku I'm tvs going. are they're they're cheap and mm-hmm. they're smart tvs that have everything so and yep. they're and they're 1080p like nice TVs. So yeah, I, like you can get a you can probably get a 40 inch during Black Friday. I would guess for for probably 200 bucks. Yeah, and you can get different remotes, which is a big deal because yeah. I my dog has eaten three Amazon Fire remotes, and so <laughs> I just can't even with that. So that's like okay. So tenants though can break it. Like I have a toddler who like throws stuff, and so I'm like that's important to have. 100%. backup plan and something for that so any other like weird system things you've worked out like is there like I don't know like for your owner's closet especially like are there certain cleaning products you stock or certain things like is every house kind of get stocked the same way or every house is a little bit different but generally the same um so the the big thing is depending on what your cleaners do and don't do I've I originally had it to where my Kissimmee properties, my cleaner, um, I stocked all of the toilet paper, paper towels, trash bags, dishwasher pods, laundry detergent, all that stuff. Um, and then I moved into 
managing the PCB condo and the cleaners in, in that market, like they stocked everything. And I was like, this is awesome. Like I don't have yeah. to stock anything. And luckily, like I'm not going to go stock it because it's a six hour drive away from where I live. Um, so I, I then like asked my cleaner at, in Kissimmee, I was like, hey, I'll pay you $10 more a turn. If you yeah. manage and stock all that and buy all that, and I don't want to go to the property again. And like yeah. you guys manage all that. So like now in all my properties, I don't have to have paper towels, toilet paper and, and all that kind of stuff. All of my properties, I will have, uh, that, uh, so like shower towels and, and those types mm-hmm. of like replacements, I'll have yeah. like quilts for the bed replacements, blanket replacements. Yeah. So most of the most of the items that are in the owner's closet are just replacements for when something gets damaged or when something um, gets stolen from from the property and okay. doesn't show back up. <laughs> Which are you able to charge those back? Like if you're like, oh, I want this throw pillow. Like, do you are you able to do that for your houses? You, or you for sure can. Um, I this is my personal opinion and maybe not the opinion of everybody. Mm-hmm. But I believe that that is the cost of doing business because what you don't want to do is you don't want to um, immediately reach out to the guests and like be accusational or yeah. to the guests of like, hey, I don't see the throw pillow. Like, where the hell is it at? Like, <laughs> you, so and, and it can lead to bad reviews. Right. So, which are super important that you get good five star reviews. So, um, it's one of those things where towels are going to get ruined stuff's going to get stolen occasionally mm-hmm. cups are going to break plates are going to break whatever like if it's under a hundred dollars i'm not like it's cost of doing business like it's not yeah. worth a better view it's not because it like i used to charge guests back for that and i got a couple bad reviews and i'm like i don't know like what to do and then when i stopped charging all of a sudden those guests left the best reviews and i'm like it is what it is. Like, yeah. Take take a fifty dollars here, forty dollars there, whatever. Yeah. Take it on the chin. You need to those towels business. more than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the reality is, like, what I'm doing with how I set up my pricing is, so in in Kissimmee, if my cleaner my cleaner for my four bedroom charges me one twenty five, she charges me one twenty five. I'm charging guests one sixty five. Mm-hmm. So that forty dollar difference is helping. Set the stuff that's going to come up and the stuff I'm going to have to replace mm-hmm. over the, the course of, of managing the short-term rental. Where do you source like your furnishings and things? Like, are there, because I've, I've saw someone say like they started out with really cheap furniture, but then all their furniture started breaking. And so now they need to do like higher grade furniture. I'm like, okay, so we're not like dorm room chic. Like we're probably not like Walmart and probably not target anymore, but like, where do you, where, how do you settle for furnishings or where have you decided like what's good and what isn't? Yeah, you definitely don't want IKEA <laughs> furniture, unfortunately. Um, it's it's a cheap way to do things, and it, it's at the end of the day, it just looks tacky, and and it doesn't have a good lifespan, which is not ideal from a management standpoint. So I have to replace stuff. Um, like I just like to go to furniture stores. Luckily, the, the all the properties that I've purchased have been fully furnished, and I've just had to replace certain things here and there. The most that I've had to do is what uh, my cabins in, in the Smokies. Um, I had to replace a couple bed frames, add a couple TV stands, and add a like couple coffee tables. And I just I found um, through through a buddy of mine who just did something similar. Uh, he gave me a contact of somebody up there who had some nice rustic 
furniture and like it was like home built and like really good quality um so i just reached out to them and and it's worth paying the extra money for nice furniture that's going to last versus going to ikea going through 50 manuals and breaking your back to like try to put something together um and just have go to a furniture store, have somebody like like that's professionally done and built and all that stuff come and, and put it together. Yeah, yeah. No, no IKEA stuff is not. So Lauren and Kyle, so funny. We were just talking about them, like watching them do like IKEA cabinets. Like it's not that bad. And I'm like, is it not? Uh, like this just looks terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you guys are killing it, but I'm exhausted for you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've done that before, but I yeah, never again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so have you ever done anything that you thought guests would like really care about for a property? And turns out they like, no one ever said anything. Like I'm trying to think like a grill or a hot tub or a do, are there certain amenities you've like tried adding or things you've tried out? And it's just like, no one seemed to care or notice. I feel like I haven't had anything specifically that I tried adding that guests didn't comment about. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm thinking like, like little things like salt and pepper, like cooking oil, like those are things they would have to bring typically. Yeah. So, I so I, yeah, what I like to, and like, I have this in, in my guide, but the, like, I like to add like spice racks and stuff like that. So like, it's a, it's an extra added touch that not a lot of places have, not a lot of Airbnbs yeah. have. Um, Do people talk about your spice rack in their reviews or the fact the, that the kitchen so they is fully stocked? They talk about the kitchen being fully stocked. They don't yeah. necessarily mention what is fully stocked, but they right. talk about the kitchen being fully stocked. Yeah. Um, so like touches like that, I think are, I, I think it's good to have small things like that, that just guests maybe wouldn't expect, or if you're not looking close enough at the pictures, you're not going to notice that spice rack that's sitting on the kitchen counter. Yeah. Um, but like stuff like that has gotten noticed in, uh, in my Orlando properties, I used to do this, but I just haven't, I haven't gone back to them in so long. So I, I need to send my cleaner some more, but I used to do handwritten note, like thank you notes that they mm-hmm. would see as they come in. That was like right on the kitchen counter. And like that would get noticed and like guests would, would like immediately when they got there say, thank you so much for the thank you card. And I usually had like two candies or whatever. The kids would love it. Yeah. Um, so like stuff like that definitely gets noticed. But I, I wouldn't say I have had anything specifically that I've tried to add um, mm-hmm. that hasn't had the, the effect that, that I was hoping it would. Yeah. Oh, and this was something. Um, so like in terms of the amenities, you can check off on the listing, like pet friendly, hot tub, workspaces. You know, we talked a little bit. We talked a lot about the stock kitchens, but are there certain like buzzwords you see are pretty popular now? in yeah. terms of like the little icon boxes you can choose I guess yeah the icon boxes it's interesting because I've never I've never really had anybody like go through I think I haven't really had guests go through like the entire list because when you go through and set up a property like it's crazy some of the stuff that it asks you if the property has or not <laughs> uh, like because like it could take like you could literally sit there for five minutes scrolling on like all these things but like I understand why these platforms have to do it because depending on the market you're in, like it could mm-hmm. be like a super niche thing that they need to ask. Like, do you have this or do you not? Because yeah. when, when guests are searching for that area, maybe they really want, uh, I don't know, a ski locker or snowboard locker or something like yeah. that, where it's just like super, super niche to only a certain, like a property in a, in a very specific location when need it. Um, right. I haven't noticed anything like that. 
that is is like overly important to to guests specifically yeah do you think the hot tub and the smokies do you have hot tubs either at your cabins both it's yes. so important yeah so important, so important. I feel like yeah. that's like the thing when you, or it's a Smoky Mountain cabinet, I'm guessing. Yep. That's where I kind of guessed. I'm like Tennessee. Yep. I'm get. What town is it in? Do you mind sharing? Or both, in, both are in Sevierville. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. Nice. And, and both cab- cabins there with pool tables and hot tubs on the balcony with a view are, yeah. that's, yeah. that's the go-to. Instagram that. Yeah. <laughs> they can put it on their social media. And 100%. be very excited. So how did you end up with from, you know, you're living in Orlando and how do you end up like with cabins in the Smoky Mountains? Yeah. So continuing to post about all my stuff on, on Instagram, I get a lot of people that are reaching out to me about different things. Um, and uh, somebody that had reached out to me uh, and we started talking and he was doing Airbnbs in New Braunfels. And uh, he had just bought two cabins in the Smokies, and he was like, "Hey, man, you gotta you gotta check this out um, on Instagram." His his uh, tag is grass grassroots well, mm-hmm. and um, Scriven was was like, "Hey, man, you really gotta check this out because like it's it's a super interesting area. These cabins, like these numbers, are seem absolutely insane." And he's like, "I've already realized like like January and February is supposed to be slow months. Like I was supposed to do like two thousand dollars. He's like, I did six thousand dollars." and gross he's like this is insane so like if it's off season and this is what's doing i can only imagine what it's going to do during the high season so i was like screw it like you convinced me (laughs) so i literally i literally he had just closed on a second cabin he didn't have it set up entirely so he was still getting it furnished and all this stuff and he was doing it remote in new brothels so i was like hey do you mind if like if you have your listing up or whatever like do you mind if i go to your other cabin drive up there, stay there for three or four nights, look at cabins and like, see if that area may be something I want to invest in. And, uh, I, I, he's like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. So I stayed at his cabin for, for four nights while I was looking at cabins in the area. Um, and I never, I never even heard of the Smoky Mountains. Didn't know anything <laughs> about them. Like I didn't, I had yeah. no idea how crazy that area was. It's beautiful. Like, it's beautiful. Yeah. There's so many people that come to the area Pigeon Forge is just packed like bumper to bumper traffic. I'm like, what is going like, where are we? Like, this just doesn't feel like I've never heard of the spot. And like, I literally, it, there was one, one point where I drove, it took me an hour to drive like two miles on this five lane road. And I'm just sitting there like, know exactly what road you're driving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like what is going on? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I looked at the area, I'm like, man, if this is low season, like I couldn't imagine what, what like this area would do. Um, and then that, yeah, it led to uh, offering on, on two different cabins, one cabin accepted, one didn't. Um, the other cabin that didn't accept was still on the market two weeks later. I told my agent, send another offer to them at, and like increase the price. I think we increased the price by like three grand or something like that. And they took it and I was like, uh-oh. Like I wasn't, I wasn't expecting them to take that that uh that that second offer, but I was like, hey, you know, screw it, I'll I'll take another stab at it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, but like so, it's it's kind of it, it's been going great ever since. And so you're able to with your cabins, those were those were your twenty percent down houses, right? The cabins were ten percent down vacation home loan and okay. fifteen percent down conventional. Okay, gotcha. So I'm trying to think. Yeah. So roughly 
what are you getting like your money for the down payments? Like, how are you doing that? Are you using like a lender? Are you like saving your way to that? Like, how are you? Yeah. Saving my way, using my own cash and then going yeah. through just a normal lender. So I'm, I'm super fortunate in my day job to make enough money where I have a lot of money plus house hacking and, and all yeah. that stuff where I'm saving a ton of money, um, where I had a lot of cash sitting on the sideline. Uh, and on top of that in, in January of this year, I sold my first house hack because um, I got licensed as an agent in Florida. So I knew I was going to save on the sale, uh, the sell commission for the agent, as well as I lived in the home to the last five years. So I could take that money out tax free. So I was like, how much this house is appreciated, what I owe on it. It just yep. makes sense to sell. So I got like $111,000 from that, that I took out tax free that I was able to dump back into, to the next investments. Yeah. And your cabins were what? 600,000 ish. One was, one was 480 and one was 460. Okay. So not bad. Yeah. They're worth like it, those cabins today are probably like, okay. Six, so that got you most of the way there with your sell your primary residence, like the old primary, yep, your first eight. house hack, like got you most of your down payments. You probably needed yeah. like 80 K a house ish. Yeah, so one was 50, I think it was 58K cash to close. The other one was 80, I think 88,000 cash to close. Okay, yeah, not too bad. So both is vacation houses. And do you, I honestly don't know this because I haven't done a vacation house loan yet. Um, how many of those can you take out? Do you know? Yeah. Is that the own. 10 rule also, or is this something different? That's a good question. I don't know if there's a limit on number of them, just like the yeah. limit of number that you could have in your personal name. Right. What I do know is that, or this is my understanding, talk to the- Yeah, talk to lenders, talk to, yeah. But (laughs) my understanding is you can have one per market and you can't live within 60 miles, roughly 60 miles of the location because then it really wouldn't be considered a vacation home. So okay, so why, that's why, why the, do you need a home that's 20 minutes from your house. <laughs> yeah. Or why do you need to have like two vacation houses like 10 minutes apart? Like that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So, so that's where the 15% down conventional came in. So you were able to do the 10% vacation and then yeah. Exactly. And the beauty of the 10% down vacation home loan too is not only the 10% down, so you don't have to put what most people believe 20% down to get into the house, but you also, if you look at like the tier of interest rates. So the lowest tiered interest rates are primary resident. The second lowest is a vacation home. The yeah. next is a conventional investment property. So the, the right. interest rates are, are lower for vacation home loans than they are for com- your normal conventional. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting idea. So roughly I'm going to have like $100,000 and I'm trying to decide what to do with it. And I can't decide. I'm like, now this makes me want to go buy a vacation property instead of like <laughs> buying more rentals where I live. So we'll see which way we go with that. But that's kind of interesting because the numbers are really great. And I, yeah, I like the communication piece of rental properties. That's what we didn't figure out because some people hate talking to humans. I don't mind. Um, So that's kind of a thing, like a gut check too. Like is Airbnb right for you? Because I think people get mesmerized with the cash flow and forget that you're now in the hospitality business essentially. And customer service matters. (laughs) 100%. Um, okay. So what kind of things do you use for like your messaging and your email automation? So we talked a lot about you're using the price labs. Yep. Thank you. I can't read my own handwriting. I was like, what is that? I look like <laughs> principles and I'm like, that's not it. There we go. 
Yeah. So for for messaging, I use a software that that uh, was formerly called Smart BNB is now called mm-hmm. um, Hospitable. I think it is. Okay. Um, I like Smart BNB better. Yeah. So for their names. <laughs> yeah. So what I think I think what ended up happening is Airbnb has been buying the name rights to anything that ends in BNB. Oh, yeah. So I think they they like did they made some deal where they like told Smart BNB like, hey, we'll buy that name right from you guys you have to change your name and i, I yeah. think they probably like made some deal to yeah to, uh change and they're like we'll change our name for a cool pile of cash and they said yeah, okay great. airbnb <laughs> once they ipo now they have more money to just blow and, and spend um right. but hospitable is what i use there, there's multiple softwares that are out there so this isn't the only one that exists it's what mm-hmm. i use and and i found success with it i've been able to scale with it super intuitive they're they're always adding new things um they're very very responsive if you have any questions or or comments or any or concerns or anything like that um but it handles my entire messaging sequence to guests from the second you inquire about a property to after you check out um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day not only that it also allows me to add my team members so i can add cleaners maintenance men woman handyman yeah. whatever yeah um to where anytime anytime i get a booking i like it automatically sends my cleaner a notification saying hey this is travis we just got a booking at yada 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 from checking in on this date checking out on this date please go ahead and schedule a cleaning for 10 10 a.m on this particular day for Additional things that it has, and again, this isn't the only software that has it. It's the one I use, it's the one I, I like the most. Yeah. Um, but um, another thing that, that is cool that it does is like my, so the resorts at my, uh, at two of the ones in Kissimmee, mm-hmm. they require me to um, text or email letting them know my cleaners are coming to the property or they won't let them in because like 24 oh. hour security gate. So yeah. I automate 100% of that. So on the day of checkout, I email and text the text in number to the front gate saying, Hey, just this Travis owner of yada, yada, yada. My cleaners from this company are coming and and going to clean my property today. So please let them at the gate. So there's a lot of really cool things that it does. Um, I've also like had some fun with it too, where anytime I get a new booking for any of my properties, I, I have some, uh, previous mentors at walmart that all uh, mm-hmm. all automatically text and say cha-ching we received another booking at one of my properties for like two thousand dollars or whatever they're like man you are killing me with this stuff <laughs> i'm like hey if you want to get the short-term rental business let me know that's hilarious <laughs> yeah there's a lot of cool stuff so and, you're just and like spamming your friends no <laughs> so I swear, every time i get a reservation on any property they they get spammed um and, and it's also cool though because Another thing I could do is for the, for the one that I, I manage for a friend's family, I can automate through this software, messaging them, letting them know every time there's a reservation on their property. So it's another cool, cool, like perk of like coming and this again, like property yeah. managers could do this if they, if they like set this up and spend the time to do it. Right. But like it's another cool perk where like they see the bookings come in because like they get texts saying, hey, mm-hmm. we got another another booking at your condo, checking in this date, checking out this date for mm-hmm. 2500 bucks or whatever it is. So like there's a lot of cool things that that software does. Um, 
and, and I'm probably still not even using like all of the components. I've just found the ones that I really, really like and, and have leveraged those. Was cleaning hard to find like reliable cleaners? Because I feel like this is honestly, this is my biggest hurdle. Like minus I'm like, I'm worried about the time suck number one. And then two cleaners, like finding someone that will do a good job. Cause I hear you live and die by your cleaning crew and your reviews. So I think 100%. that's actually a good rule of thumb. Like, that's not like hearsay, like um, scary people of the internet. Like, I'm not worried about trashing my house. Like, whatever. I'm in real estate. Like, people break shit all the time. This is what we do. But yep. yeah, like you just sign up. Like, you're doing houses and people are accident proof. Like, live with a toddler for two days and let me know how you feel about breaking <laughs> stuff. Like, it just happens. So that doesn't scare me. It's more like the management piece and the cleaning piece scare me. So yeah, how do you clean- how do you work that? Yeah, cleaning is def- your cleaners are definitely the most important team member on your team, no matter where you are. Um, I have had to turn cleaners. I, I've had to turn cleaners twice in my uh, Kissimmee properties, and then uh, once in the PCB area. Um, and I would say, generally speaking, the, the I've learned about screening cleaner cleaners a little bit better than what I did when I was early on and, and just starting out. There's certain questions that you need to ask your cleaning crews on how they handle certain situations mm-hmm. and their familiarity with cleaning short-term rentals. Because yeah. there's a very different clean cleaning a short-term rental versus cleaning somebody's your house or, or whatever. Like that you you want to pay somebody to come in, clean your house and and whatever. It's totally different clean. Yeah. So making sure they're super familiar with cleaning short-term rentals is important. Another thing that I see people make a big big mistake on um and it's one of those things that's very very scary when you first start is i always anytime i go into a new market i always want to know my cleaner is cleaning on the day of checkout i never want my cleaner to say i need i need you to block the day of checkout and i need you to block the day before check-in just in case because that's additional revenue that is immediately gone off your account if they don't feel comfortable turning a property entirely, regardless of what's going on, unless it's something egregious, like that's a big red flag on like, they don't understand short-term rentals. They don't understand how you want to manage the property and, and what your expectations are. So that's a big, big thing. Generally speaking, there's two ways to find cleaners that I found most effective. The first one is your normal Google search of like, short-term rental cleaners, vacation rental cleaners in Panama City Beach, Smoky Mountains, whatever. Like that's that's a really good one for you. Look at Google Google reviews, mm-hmm. look at ones that have five-star reviews, read the reviews, call them. If they don't answer the first time you call, probably a bad sign. I probably <laughs> wouldn't go with it. Like that's, yeah. that's my gut instinct is like, same thing with handyman. Like if they don't answer yep. my call the first time I, they, from an unknown number, I am not going to use mm-hmm. them. I'm on to the next one. Even if they have five-star reviews, that's just like standards that like I have where if they're not going to answer my call now, then how responsive are they going to be if I need them to answer the phone like right now and, and go do something. I have the weirdest criteria for like construction people now too. I'm like, do you accept Venmo? And will you text me? Oh, <laughs> this God. is all like systems. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I just need are... you to be like, this is the 21st century. And I know like a lot of people don't do this, but I, sometimes I'm surprised at the people that say like, oh yeah, you can Venmo me or use the cash app or something like that because it just makes everything so much cleaner and faster. And it's not like I'm trying to like skirt taxes with Venmo, like I business accounts, whatever. It's just easier to be like, you're paid. 
Um, so it's like little things like that where I'm like, but you have to like be a little, I feel like people that have those systems in place care about their business and care about their customers. And so it's almost like the people that say yes to that question tend to be better in my experience, which is weird. So yeah, hundred percent. I, I think they've I, like, they've worked out systems and they're not just like winging it. So that's nice. Yeah. No, that, that is, that is a really, really good point. I currently have like three different ways I pay people, yeah. <laughs> which is not ideal from my standpoint, but to keep the cleaning services that I have with like how big some of them are, like I wasn't going to change them no matter right. what. So yeah. You're like, like, no, we're going to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll figure it out for you guys for whatever the payment, but that's a, that's a really good point that like understanding how do they want to get paid? Um, and Venmo is definitely the easiest. Most of my payments right now go through Zelle. So yeah. like I have Bank of America, so it's not that big of a deal. My plans guide is Zelle. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's nice to have the documentation. I mean, it's very, very, very similar to Venmo where like you have the documentation, you can put the description in like what, what day it was, what property it was, what the service was, what yeah. the breakdown of materials and labor and all that stuff too. I always ask for like an invoice number and try to put that in there. So then my bookkeeper doesn't hunt me down later. So absolutely (laughs) systems. It's very important. All right. So then my last question, I love this myth because this is my favorite, but I'm like a numbers person. So you talked about um, people automatically think if you're doing short-term rentals, you're profitable. You do anything differently. Like I guess your maintenance costs, like you have higher like cleaning overhead costs. What else do you think about? So you probably have a higher level of like maintenance you need to do. Yes. Yeah, so there are like, there's a, there's a few additional things that you need to look at from an overall cost standpoint. Um, uh, so what I'm looking at is um, cleaning. So it, within the, the price labs market dashboard, they actually will show you like what the majority uh, or like what percentile of what properties are charging different amounts for cleaning to the guests. And I'll, I'll usually, so I'll take that within my spreadsheet and show I'll input what's charged to the guest um, in there because what, what people don't understand is like cleaning is an expense, but it is also a form of income mm-hmm. because you're charging it to the guests. The guests are not just paying the night rate. They're also paying the cleaning fee. So you, you need to ca- account for it on both the income side and the expense side. Um, okay. I'm looking sense, at yeah. utilities because this is another big difference between yeah. um, short-term and long-term where you're paying uh, sewage, uh, water, electric, all that internet cable, all that kind of stuff, HOA taxes, insurance is typically going to be, um, more expensive for short-term rentals than it is for long-term rentals. Can you still get like a landlord policy on a short-term rental? Are you just getting like a straight up homeowner's policy? Probably a homeowner's. Uh, I don't know exactly which type of policy. I just know it's, it's not the same as like, if it's an investment, a normal investment property. Yeah. Like there's a very specific, there's only very specific insurance um, providers that will insure short-term rentals. Like I remember the first time I was looking for one, like they were, they were like, I went to an insurance broker. And it mm-hmm. took them like a week to like find somebody that would insure. I'm like, is it really this crazy? To... And they're like, yeah. sorry, we want this person. They're not doing it. This person not doing it. I'm like, okay, like let's, let's find somebody that will insure this property. I'm going to add that to my list of things to ask my insurance guy. So if anyone lives in Indiana or Ohio, I have the best insurance guy in the whole world. He's like a broker too. So he shops all the different, ins- but I've never asked him short-term rental questions. So yeah. And then yeah. add this to my homework list for the week. <laughs> yeah, no, you you for sure should. Um, 
And then miscellaneous is, it really depends on the size of the property and um, it, it depends on the size of the property and, and how many people it sleeps. Uh, I don't have any like hard and fast rules of thumb for what I do there, generally speaking, but between 100 to $200 a way a month. Um, I think that's a little excessive, but I'd rather run the numbers more conservatively than than less um, for yeah. any time I, I run numbers for a short-term rental property. So between 100 and $200, unless you have like a crazy, ridiculous, like five, six bedroom place that sleeps yeah. 20 people or something crazy like that. Yeah. And people also say your Airbnbs get a little better maintained, I think, than your long-term rentals because you're cleaning them all the time and you're always like doing little repairs, but I don't know how accurate that I, is. I personally think they are always kept nicer than yeah. long-term. Every time I've had a long-term person move out or whatnot, I'm like, Ugh, like carpets, carpets messed up, this and that. Like you're going to naturally take care of those things over time. Um, but you're also getting the unit clean four times a month, five yeah. times a month. And not always deep clean, but like you're getting it cleaned uh, professionally, I think. Um, I think there is a lot to say that like short-term rentals, when you screen guests the correct way um, and, and do all the other things the right way, I think the properties are generally kept in much better shape than long-term rentals and, and like completely having to redo L- LPV or, or whatever. Right. Exactly. Sounds good. Well, this is very interesting. It's making me get the wheels turning and things. So yeah. So at least I'm like, I know there's a lot more overhead costs, but I forgot about things like internet and, you know, your kind of all the nuts and bolts you're definitely going to have that be on you so which isn't that much different than house hacking but a little bit extra but you obviously like need your landscaping well maintained and things like that so it becomes a little more like the Disneyland experience which is not because you're in Orlando but that's like a thing (laughs) like hospitals and like bigger companies talk about like they want their grounds kept a certain way so yeah um, anything we haven't hit on that are like myths and things that are bouncing around. I feel like we've done a pretty good job. I have some good resources. Any other websites you frequent besides Price Labs and Hospitable now? Uh, those are the main ones right now that I'm utilizing. Okay. So are there any like side websites you use for anything else? I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's so some you have additional... Like- yeah, there's some additional integrations. One of the one of the biggest ones is with smart devices. So um, in all my properties now, I have standardized the lock that I use on the door, um, the front door, and, and that's a Schlage uh, in, yeah. encode, um, and that has the capability to connect to your Wi-Fi, and, and you can go and change lock codes and add lock codes, delete them on your phone. Um, but there's a, a cool service that, uh, that another guy that I talked to at the short-term rentals and, and has a lot of properties under management. Uh, he referred me to uh, this uh, software a website called Remote Lock. And you can actually pay, at the time I, I paid $60 for the year. Mm-hmm. And it integrated with the particular property and the particular lock. And anytime a new guest inqu- or like, received and and had a confirmed reservation where I accepted on my side or they auto booked it automatically generated a specific code for that individual that started on the check-in time of that property on the right date 
and then the code automatically deletes itself from the lock on checkout time of the day they're supposed to check out. So That's all of the awesome. yeah, and it was sixty bucks for the year, which is like I'll, I'll pay sixty dollars all yeah. day. What is uh, that called again? Remote lock. Yeah, it's, a, it's another. <laughs> yeah, it's another cool software um that i use from like but from like a tech stack and and like hardware standpoint that's yeah. like end to end um like what i use in current state very cool interesting yeah i started doing smart locks and some of my rentals just like so i reprogram so i don't have to mess with keys and that's been fun but then i'm very stressed that like my batteries are going to go out so i'm just like every november is battery changing month <laughs> We're yeah just so set re- a time remote and- lock will automatically notify you anytime the lock batteries get low like it'll email you and let you know so like it has a lot of cool features um where you can see all that stuff that's super cool yeah because mine right now i don't really know how you tell if it's going bad but it'll say like it should last over a year on a battery so i'm like okay if i replace it before then i should be good that's the tentative plan i I would i would do it every six months (laughs) living on the edge no (laughs) personally do you keep your other finances like really clean like I'm guessing you carry no debt like cars what are your kind of philosophies there yeah my my high level philosophy has always been to try to hack as many components of my life as early on as possible so that before like like my Instagram handle before the age of 33 I could be financially independent and and be able to live off all my investments so with starting house hacking from when I was 24, still doing it today, um, um, exploring potentially a new house hack or moving into finally a, a home where I'm, I'm no longer house hacking just because of the revenue that like my investments are bringing in at this point. Yeah. Um, but I had the same car for the longest time that was already paid off like 140,000 miles I finally got a new car like a month ago not a new car but I got I got new to you car car. (laughs) new to me car um first time I ever took out a car loan and I was I was uh that was a process that I was just like what the heck is going on like it was so confusing I was signing all these papers like I same like when you sign for for closing at the closing (laughs) table for the first time like the first few houses you close on you're like I don't know what the hell I'm signing but there's 30 papers and I'm going to be here all day if I don't hurry up (laughs) oh absolutely and the and the craziest thing uh, that I found when I when I went through that process was uh my credit score went up after I got a car loan and I was (laughs) like uh Probably because you have a different type of debt. You've diversified your debt. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. So uh-huh. I, I finally had entered into a type of debt that I didn't have before. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how is gaining more debt like a good thing? But yeah, what, because whatever. they want you to have, because you probably all have mortgages otherwise. Like that's probably your only that's debt. That's my only debt. Yeah. So no credit so, card debt. Credit cards paid off every month. Like just. So they kind debt. of categorize like, well, you know now, but for people listening, they categorize debt into like the types, like credit cards are one kind, like revolving lines and then cars are kind of another animal. And then like your mortgages are separate. And so they, credit card companies like to see you carry one of each different type of debt and pay them all on time. So if you take out a car loan, they're like, yay, a new type of debt, as long as you pay it on time, they like that. So it's kind of ridiculous that you took out more debt, but from their standpoint, you are safer because you've shown that you could manage like multiple different loans at a time, which is a little terrifying. Like something's wrong in America by that standard. (laughs) Something is definitely wrong in in America with that that standard. Um, 
but yeah, like my, my philosophy has really just been live below my means, but enjoy my life and uh, continue to hack everything that I can from house hacking and not having a car payment until like recently where it's really not that big of a deal to, to have one. Yeah. Um, and Does it bug just, you to have a car payment? How are you feeling about it? Uh, are you good weird. with it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird because yeah. it's it's not only like I have the car payment but I'm also traveling like almost 100% of the time for work so like I hardly drive the car so <laughs> yeah um it's but it's one of those things where it's like I was ready to not drive a 2008 Jetta anymore and, and mm-hmm. drive I had a Jetta for a while like my actually... Jetta was my like Dave Ramsey car back yeah. in the day and then my last question of the day since I've talked to you for way too long which I do this to everyone that I interview sorry um so I'm like a big outsourcing person. Like I get rid of, which like you're kind of the master of, like you figure out all these different websites and systems and things. So like, what else do you outsource like personal life? Like, do you have a cleaning lady, a yard guy, like or cleaning guy, yard girl, like, sorry for yeah. everyone that's, we'll do this politically correct um, outsourcing. So I tend to outsource everything that I hate in life. And so what else do you outsource besides like everything we've talked about already, like personal yeah. too? Yeah, I don't have anything major right now from a personal standpoint that I've outsourced, but like any any maintenance from like a yard standpoint, I outsource on uh, on like my personal residence. So I just pay somebody to come every other week, mow the lawn, all that kind of stuff. Um, I am looking to begin to uh, really start treating everything that I'm doing more as a business versus uh, working in the business as much as I have. Uh, yeah. in the last couple of years. So I'm going to be really focusing around, around um, outsourcing, bookkeeping, outsourcing, messaging, outsourcing, some of the other things that I'm doing on a day in and day out basis that I don't realize like how much time it actually sucks up of, of my life. So uh, over the next like three months, that's going to be one of my big, big focuses as I continue to scale management and, and hopefully another house hack or another personal residence that I'll move into. Um, And then just continuing to look at like what areas can I um, outsource from communication to uh, bookkeeping is another big one that like, I want to make sure like all that stuff's right. Like right now I do all my books and like, I'm nervous. that This is my first year I've gotten bookkeeping done and it's been great. I still don't think I'm doing my bookkeeping for my house hack, right. But my accountant has yet to yell at me. So we're just figuring it out. There you go. But I think that like stuff like that, uh, to your point earlier, it, it's important to like figure out the things that you don't enjoy. I don't yeah. have anything because of how much I travel and, and anything like that. That's like too crazy where like, um, I, I can like really get into any routine when I'm home. So it's right. I'm not at the point where outsourcing stuff like that, um, because I'm staying in one spot for a significant period of time makes sense, right. but I'll continue to look at those things as they come up. Um, so Travis, tell them where they can find you online, like on Instagram, where, where you, where do you live the most? So. Yeah. The, the best spot is on Instagram at the young retiree by 33. Perfect. And tell them about your handbook too, which I'm going to go shamelessly steal from you or go look at immediately after this, because I need to get into the short-term rental game. So, yeah. So essentially I just try to document all everything that I've learned over the last two and a half years from how to analyze properties some of the stuff that we talked through as well as how to set up the property what systems and processes to put in place 
So it's really layering on top of some of the things that we talked about to give you like the exact messaging sequence I use, the exact text, like the exact screens, where to click, where to input it, how to set up your team members. So I go into um, all of those details of, of exactly how I operate and run my business. Um, and then also from a pricing standpoint, I, I talk about the pricing software in a little bit more detail on how I determine the prices, what rules I have set up, how you set them up specifically. Um, so all of that is, is detailed out and um, it, it's about 120 pages worth of, of content. So it's, it's, That's a, amazing. it's a lot, but it's, it's thorough. Yeah, but your reviews on your handbook are amazing. Like people are just able to follow your blueprint and make it happen. And I think you put a lot of trial and error over the years with your you know, 2000 plus stays. And so if you're like, I'm at stay zero, I would like to have the knowledge of the guy that's had 2000 stays. So I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I think it's awesome. I think like the niche is really fascinating to watch you grow your portfolio and they're going to come to like the dark side. Like, I feel like I've already like Dave Ramsey to real estate, like kind of <laughs> lost my mind, like somewhere in there. And I'm like, this is great. Like rich dad, poor dad, like, let's go. And Absolutely. now I'm just like, how much debt can I take on? And let's do short-term rentals, like fully <laughs> switch gears. So if I start buying Bitcoin, like someone commit me, but <laughs> that's my <laughs> only concern. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. This is super fun. Um, glad we finally got to talk. I yeah, I'm sure we'll have a million questions someday if I when I hop into this space, hopefully in the next year. There you um, go. And we'll go from there. So I'll No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Sounds good. It was fun. Have a good night. Thanks for chatting for so long. <laughs> yeah, no problem. We'll talk All soon. Right. Gosh, did you all just love this episode? I hope you're enjoying each of these podcasts as much as I am. If you are, please go subscribe to the podcast and spread the word by sharing your thoughts on Instagram. If you are not already aware, I'm pretty much obsessed with Instagram. So seriously, come find me. Instagram is the place where I'm going to announce every new podcast episode. I also share new products as I post them into my store. And I also am just going to be oversharing way too much about my personal life as a DIY landlord and a working boss mom. Thanks so much for listening.